Welcome back to Return to Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Curry. If you haven't yet listened to our previous episode, please make sure you go back and give it a listen. It's called Trust and Obey, Episode 9 on Return to Truth. Okay, before we begin today's episode, let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask today that you will guide our hearts into truth. Help us to see your true will for us fully in your commandments and delight in your laws. For we know, Father, that you only want what's best for us. Let us throw down our idols and gods of self and worldly things and replace them with the one and true God. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. The title of today's episode is No Other Gods. Since we have established in our last episode that obedience is not legalism and is in fact our way of showing our love for God, it only makes sense that we talk about how to show our love for Him in the keeping of His holy law in more detail. The first four commandments are about our relationship with God and the last six are about our relationship with people. I'd like to start this episode off by focusing on the first of the Ten Commandments. This will probably be a ten-part episode as we touch base on each commandment written. Did you know that only 50% of Christians can actually name five of the Ten Commandments? So how many of the Ten Commandments can you name? This next part is from a 2007 online article called Put to the Test. Americans recalled the seven ingredients of a McDonald's Big Mac hamburger and members of TV's The Brady Bunch more easily than the Bible's Ten Commandments. A survey by Kelton Research found 80% of 1,000 respondents could name the burger's primary ingredient, two all-beef patties, but less than six in ten knew the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Less than half of the respondents, 45%, could recall the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, but 62% knew the Big Mac has pickles. Bobby and Peter, the least recalled names from the fictional Brady Bunch family TV show, were remembered by 43% of respondents, topping the 34% who knew, remember the Sabbath, and 29% recalling, do not make false idols. So when we are done with this series, you will be able to know in more detail exactly what it means to love God in your actions and why the commandments matter in your walk and relationship with Him. Okay, so Jesus gives us a summary of the ten by quoting directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You can find what He's saying here in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, where He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So without further ado, let's jump right in. First of all, I'd like to start by saying that the Ten Commandments were given to all of mankind, not just the people of Israel, not just the Jews, but every single person. They were actually established before we even read about them in Exodus and were later put onto stone by the finger of God at Mount Sinai and given to Moses to present them to the people. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. 
and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. We read here that God wrote these commandments on stone with his finger. That alone should get our attention. When God writes, we should read. Amen? Stone is used to signify that these laws would not pass away with their unchanging nature. Here's the thing. You can't nail stone to a cross. When Jesus died, the commandments didn't die with him. Instead, what was nailed to the cross was the ceremonial laws. The commandments were given to us to specifically show that we cannot keep them on our own, but that we are in need of a Savior's love, strength, and sacrifice in order to enter into the kingdom. Keeping them will not save us. Only Christ can, as we discussed in our last episode. However, they are put in place for another reason. To show us a mirror of ourselves, a mirror of our sins, a reflection of our unrighteousness, which leads us to repentance to further show us a way to walk in a newness of life and a rebirth in Christ Jesus as we accept him into our lives. Romans chapter 12, New Testament here, says, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Yes, it's true, they were in fact established before the time of Moses and the Exodus. How, you might ask? Well, let's read in Genesis chapter 4. Before the Ten Commandments even existed, God is talking with Cain about sin that lies at the door. It says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And it's desire for you, but you should rule over it. Now, I ask you this question, how would Cain know what sin is if he did not know the law? If he was supposed to rule over it, how would he know what it is he is being asked of? We also read further on in Genesis, the sinfulness that brought on the flood. Yet again, before the commandments were even given, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. That's Genesis chapter 6, verses 5-6. through 6. And that time is coming again, my friends. Revelation chapter 22, verse 11 says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He was righteous, let him be righteous still. He was holy, let him be holy still. That's why this message is so important. As we continue to read through Genesis, we see it again. The punishment for sin with Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. That's Genesis chapter 19, verse 13. Yet again, before the commandments were ever given. And here it is again in Exodus chapter 16, verses 23, God specifically mentions the Sabbath commandment before they even existed. This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until morning. With that being said, we can definitely see that not only sin existed before the commandments, but that there was in fact a verbal or moral law established at some point and handed down in some way or another. Or, if not, there would have been no punishment needed for no knowledge of the law and sin. 
transgression is the breaking of the law. It says in Romans, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's Romans chapter 4, verse 15. And we also read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know, it's John Wesley who said, this law God has given to man before. It was written in his heart by nature, but sin had so defaced that writing that it was necessary to revive the knowledge of it. So now we enter into the Ten Commandments, which is where it is yet again being established. With all that being said, let's dig into the first commandment. It comes directly from Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, and reads this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. God starts with priorities, doesn't he? It's appropriate that this is the first commandment. If you get this one right, you will have nothing to worry about. Notice he doesn't say fewer gods. He doesn't allow any competition here at all. He does not tolerate any other god. He is saying no other gods at all, period. What I love about this is the fact that he's not going to share you with anyone else. He loves you that much. Such a powerful commandment and the very first one, rightfully so. God wants himself to be first in your life, not second, not third, but first. So many people push God into the back burner. They put a pin in it, so to speak, and hope that they live to talk about it another day. They are, in reality, setting up gods before him and doing so. You know, it's said, if God is first in our lives, then all of the other commandments will follow suit. How true that is, following God first will allow all other gods to fall away. Isn't that what we truly want? An idol is not just a statue or figure. It's literally anything that takes the place of God. We need to understand the placement of such things in our lives and how they can be a distraction from what is truth. It is also said, whatever is loved, feared, delighted in, or depended on more than God, that we can make a God of. One of the greatest ways to put God first is to seek him first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, so here's the thing. This world in its fallen form is now designed to take us away from our creator and put something else in his place. Just look around you. Constant distractions of all kinds, all trying to put him last, to keep you away and push him further down the line. Just another tactic from Satan to destroy our walk with God. We must set aside all of these worldly desires, distractions and pleasures that take his place. We must entirely fix our hearts and minds on him and no other. How can we do anything else than to put him first in our lives? Look at all that he has done for you. Can we really set up another God before him? And yet it happens every day. Even myself, I am guilty of the exact same thing. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, we read, There were those who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
You know, Paul also warns in Colossians chapter 2, verses 18, against worshiping other supernatural beings. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Simply put, God wants you to put him first. There is a reason behind this. He alone knows your path. He knows that we will stumble without him and fall into darkness. But when you put him first, you have a bright light before you. He wants to be your light to protect you. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or in other words, money. You know, money is probably one of the if not biggest of false gods out there. But it's not really money in itself, it's the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, there's a quote that says, God commands us not to serve other gods, because there are no other gods except those that we make ourselves. But it's more than just money. It's other things too. In other words, we are the ones setting up other gods before him. So in reality, we are the ones removing God from his rightful place on the throne. When we do this, we become the culprit that dethrones God and sets up a false god in his place. We are in reality guilty of spiritual treason in a sense. In the first commandment, God is saying, pay attention. Look at what I've done for you. I am a real God, unlike anything else on this earth. I delivered you from slavery and bondage. Can any other God do that? No. So follow the true and only God, and you will be victorious. He is saying, I have saved you first, so you should put me first. It's also saying, remember this day. Look back at what has been accomplished. See how far you have come with God. Would it have been possible without him? That's what we are hearing here. It reminds me of a part from a song. Here I raise my Ebenezer. It's the beginning of the second verse of a familiar hymn, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. No, it's not Ebenezer Scrooge we are talking about here. In Hebrew, Ebenezer means stone of help. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizvah and Shem and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So, an Ebenezer is simply a monumental stone set up to remember how far you have come with the help of God. And did the Israelites ever come far? Look at all that they went through. Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and Moses, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the pillars of fire and cloud of smoke. Even in our own lives, we can ask the very same questions. How far has God taken you? Where were you before you knew him? Look back at what he has done for your life. God is the reason you exist. Why not put him first in your life? So here's why we put him first. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Isn't that what it's really all about? How can we say we love him and keep not his commandments? We should start by examining ourselves and asking questions that we don't really want to hear. 
What other gods have I set up before my king? What is truly ruling as number one in my life? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's schooling, sports, money, alcohol, media, food. The list goes on and on. You know, it's said, if you spend more time thinking about it than you do in the word of God, then you have found your God. Sometimes we set up secret gods and we don't even know it. These things can creep into our lives and overtake us. And before we know it, God has been pushed to the end of the line. You know, if we continue to look into the first commandment, we notice the first words are, I am. God clearly identified himself as I am for a reason. That's because I am the only God. From everlasting to everlasting, there is none like him. He uses I am frequently when identifying himself throughout the entire Bible. In Hebrew, what he's saying is, I am Yahweh, or Elohim. I am the Lord. He tells us who he is. But the part I don't want you to miss is that he is identifying as the only one when he says this. He is also calling us out in the first commandment, calling us out to be separate. You've got to come out of Egypt, or in other words, in order to worship God, you need to come out of this world. He is calling you away from your idols, your gods, the things that have a stranglehold over you. You may not realize this, but anything you put first before God is killing you. If anything other than God takes first place in your life, you will be corrupted by it. Now you can say you don't worship anyone, but let's be honest, everybody worships something. What is it? Doesn't God deserve our worship? He has all the qualifications of an amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing God. We read in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. We also read in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes bribes. So we read, There is none like him, no, not one. He is the God of gods. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. A quote from Matthew Henry's Bible commentary says this, The sin against this commandment, which we are most in danger of, is giving the glory and honor to any creature which are due to God only. Pride makes a God of self. Covetousness makes a God of money. Sensuality makes a God of the belly. Whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than God, that is whatever it is, we do, in effect, make a God of it. This prohibition includes a precept, which is the foundation of the whole law, that we take the Lord for our God, acknowledge that He is God, accept Him for ours, adore Him with admiration and humble reverence, and set our affections entirely upon Him. Again, that is from Matthew Henry's Bible commentary. For further context, let's look at the story of Daniel real quick. He was not supposed to pray to any other God for 30 days or he would be sentenced to death. Remember the story. 
Daniel chapter 6 verses 7 through 8 and 10 says, That whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You know, that is the spirit that we really need, self-sacrifice and surrender. If anything else is on the throne in your heart, it will only end in chaos. We are created to worship the one true God and Him only. Daniel knew he had the one true God, and nothing was going to change his mind. He stayed committed entirely, even unto death. So he put God before himself. Battle with self is also a type of God in our lives. We want, we like, we do what pleases us, but we forget about God and His reason to be first in our lives. To be truthfully honest, the most popular God on the throne in all of our lives is self and worship of self. It's a battle. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-4 through four says, Let nothing be done through selfishness, ambition, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Did you know that Jesus also had a battle of self in the Garden of Gethsemane? Luke chapter 22 verses 39 through 44 reads this, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was also withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. Okay, so let's draw close attention to these words. He says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. These words tell us exactly how to keep the commandment. God first, no matter the cost. Not my will, but His. And His will is to be first in your life. You know, it's A.W. Tozer that said, As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved at once. Okay, so in closing, simply put, God first. It changes everything. Put him first, and you will never be last. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and joining me today. We have so much more coming your way. Please remember to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast channel. And stay tuned for our next episode as we return to truth.